0: What's up everybody? Zach Boschman here from Citizen Truth. I wanted to dedicate this week's episode to Dr. Larry Emerson, who I knew as Che. He had a big influence on me and an even bigger influence on my guest today, Lila June. Enjoy the conversation. Much love. What's up? What's up? This is Zach Boschman checking in. You are locked into the Citizen Truth podcast. We are honored today to be joined by the prophetic Lila June. Lila, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. I want to get started with this question. You can kind of take it, you know, however you want. Um, But for you, what does it mean to be indigenous in the face of climate catastrophe?
1: Um, well, I think we are all indigenous, but we're not always all indigenous to the place we're standing on. Um, and to be indigenous and also be on indigenous to the place you're standing on usually means you are disenfranchised in some way, oftentimes marginalized in some way. So you're often affected by climate change or climate crisis disproportionately compared to folks who by definition have you know, possibly colonized other lands. Um, and that's why they're not on their traditional land. You know, so they have not always, but oftentimes a little bit more, um, more mobility uh, economically, socially. So if you're Indigenous and you're also standing on the land that you're Indigenous to, chances are you're probably disenfranchised or marginalized in some way which makes it harder to confront the climate crisis because you have less mobility uh, in every sense financial um, uh, even emotional sometimes uh, spiritual um and uh socially and so then you get into sort of that for instance our brothers and sisters in the arctic uh indigenous folks who i study with because i go to university of alaska they are going through the upheaval of their entire world we all are to some extent and we probably all will uh, we, by the time this climate crisis is over but of course our brothers and sisters in the arctic are feeling it perhaps most dramatically right now because their entire world is upending um but in general you know if you live off the land sometimes being indigenous makes you more adv- more adv- of an advantage to confront the climate crisis because you uh have a little bit more of a localized food system so if you know peak oil hits and you're not able to get your food from the grocery store anymore you have a local food system that you can depend on you have something called kinship you know uh kinship which you learned probably with your time with the dinette but kinship systems that make us a little bit more interdependent and little social contracts that are like okay if if my crop fails I go to your house, or if your crop fails, you come to my house. So there's a little bit, uh, sometimes it's an advantage to be Indigenous in the face of a climate crisis. Um, So last thing I'll say on that is what's really hard is when you're Indigenous, but you've also lost your connection to your traditional foods, your traditional language, your traditional homelands because of colonization, boarding schools, assimilation policies, etc. That's when you're really without a paddle, because you don't have the benefits of being indigenous because that was sort of systematically ripped out of your people through boarding schools, and you also don't have the and you also have the 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 cons of being indigenous, which you you're generally marginalized and disenfranchised within your within your social context.
0: Um, in an interview uh, that I watched on YouTube, you talk about how since the inception of the United States, uh, we have kind of like a culture of hierarchy. And you said that this is quote not of creator um could you dive into this a bit and you know possibly speak to how this hierarchy uh, might be the source of some of our current problems
1: well what i'm basing that off of is all of these civilizations who have been defined by hierarchy take the egyptian pyramid culture take the Chacoan culture, which is my ancestors in New Mexico. We, we built these massive masonry houses and we had a caste system of the the underlings would build those uh, for the uh, the high priests and what have you. Uh, the mound builders even, you know, some of my friends from the mound building society say that that was a, a time of hierarchy where the priests would sit on top of the mounds in the Mississippian cultures and there was underlings below them. And Think, I think about Rome, you know, <laughs> the, the Pope with the hat and the emperor who was under the hat before the Pope became the Pope. Um, before the emperor became the Pope, but all of these different um, civilizations, in quotations, uh, that became, uh, that, that collapsed, that, that this idea that these hierarchical systems are designed to collapse, and so what I've been told is that it's not of creator and that creators weigh the circle. Creators weigh is a, it's, it's a beautiful complex circle where we're all supporting one another. And those systems seem to be very, very sustainable. And for instance, we know that Algonquin nations were harvesting um, oysters out of the Chesapeake Bay for 10,000 years straight. And over this period of time, the shells actually grow bigger, which means they not only sustainably harvested them, from this area, but they also augmented the health of the oysters in the process. Uh, The oyster fishery in Chesapeake Bay has collapsed um, almost entirely under only 300 years of American management. So we know that these societies were sustainable and they kept going because in my opinion, they were of creator.
0: That kind of leads into my next question. Uh, You say that we're integral to the smooth functioning of ecosystems. You know, there's like the capitalist paradigm that states that nature is separate from humans and something to be conquered. You know, this paradigm is obviously really destructive, but I find when people get past that destructive capitalistic paradigm, they see the destruction caused by humanity. And they see humans as like a harmful external factor on ecosystems. Like you might think this after looking at all the plastic in the ocean or something. So, um, Lila, how can we get past both of these paradigms and begin to see ourselves as an important part of ecosystems? You're on. Uh, being... Well, the sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries.
1: Well, the Yoruba nation, the the Yoruba nation in West Africa, talks about how um, the the word for human being is chosen one. So when you translate the the word for human being, it means chosen one. And what they mean by that is the human was chosen to steward the earth. So um, we, from their cosmology human beings have a role they have a purpose they have a function just like the beavers have a function to build dams and the butterflies have a function to pollinate every single piece of creation according to indigenous cosmology has a function and a role so then there's a question of like okay are humans a mistake are they a misfit of creation are they a problem and i believe we are not sometimes our behavior when motivated by fear and greed can become a problem and the spiritual forces, which in my culture sort of hijacked humanity to turn us into these serfs, you know, to build these hierarchies. Um, But in our natural state, I believe we are meant to be a keystone species. And a keystone species is one that if you were to remove it from the system, the whole system would collapse. Um, A beaver is an example. They build a, a, a dam, and then that dam creates a pond which creates habitat for mayflies it creates habitat for moose who come to drink it creates habitat for fish uh, all kinds of important life systems depend on this beaver so if you remove the beaver which they did remove the beaver during the fur trade in canada and they almost completely wiped out the beaver just like they almost completely wiped out native people <laughs> um, we and the beaver have a lot in common um, then you uh pull the linchpin from the whole system and the system collapses. So it's really important to remember that humans have had many, many instances, and today still have are in some instances keystone species. So let me give an example, out of many, which I don't have time to go over. But my doctoral research, this is my my focus. Um, the Halki Nation from Canada, they hand plant kelp gardens along the coastline of their uh, of their homeland. And uh, this is British Columbia, Canada, and these kelp forests then provide the habitat for herring row to lay their eggs. So herrings are these little silver fish. And when they come in February, they litter the whole place with eggs the whole any surface is covered with eggs. And this provides a caloric base for sea lions, salmon, killer whales, uh, wolves, on up the food chain. Um, and just by hand-planting these kelp forests, the heltsa become a keystone species, right? Because without them ensuring that the surface area of this coastline is built up enough, it would be very, very challenging for that caloric base to have a place to land. And so that's just one example of many. And I think no matter who we are or where we are, all of our ancestors at one point were the chosen ones for their specific biome, for their specific context to, to take care of it and steward it.
0: I want to bring up some lyrics uh, from one of my favorite songs of yours, Time Traveler. Uh, You say, planting a dream, panting, I breed, running toward the future with a handful of seeds. What does it mean to run toward the future with a handful of seeds?
1: I think in that song I was talking about um, how seeds are so metaphorical, but they're also literal when you actually really plant them of ways in which we can affect the future f- far beyond our, our life and death. Because if we plant a tree just a little while ago, I was eating a plum from this area. This is uh, Alabama. And there was this plum tree an old plum tree, and it was dropping plums. And I was like, wow, this used to be a whole food forest, indigenous peoples in Alabama, the Yuchi, the Muskogee. Um, the, the Shawnee up in Kentucky, uh, the Chickasaw and the, and the Cherokee here in, in, in Tennessee, they all were planting fruit and mass trees, fruit and nut trees throughout this whole place. The hickory nut, the black walnut, the chestnut, um, that plum I just ate, the pawpaw. I mean, there's, this used to be a food mecca, a food haven. And I just ate the fruit of their labor that has been destroyed 500 years ago. And so it's amazing to me how, although they may have died, their foods live on, their nourishment lives on. So to me, running towards the future with a handful of seeds is like, I'm, 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 I'm in a rush because our planet is, 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 is in the dire straits right now. So that's one reason I'm running. But I'm also, my, my, my love is running into the future, even when I'm gone.
0: I want to bring up the hook too. You say, we are here to give all our love. To the ones I'm born. I know you talk about how you used to like be like drinking and like drugging a lot um, and you've emerged into this kind of prolific love warrior um, So how can we uh, as a people you know move past self and pour ourselves into creating uh, a world uh, for future generations? I'm not talking about you know, neglecting self-care by any means but um you know how do we move past into that that bigger vision you know
1: yeah i mean that's up for each one of us to decide really how we serve here and if we serve at all um a lot of us don't aren't trained to serve because this culture trains us to serve ourselves um and a lot of us never have the joy and the, and, and, and the honor and the beauty of being able to serve our communities. But I guess if you decide you want to serve, um, that's really up to each and every one of us. Um, I know for me, I'm still interrogating this part of my being and my life is when I was you know, younger and, and the drugs were all about me. You know, I started doing drugs when I was 11. My community was full of drug dealers. Um, drug addicts, you know all throughout my neighborhood. And so it was very sort of set up for me to become that. Um, and it was all about me you know just the act of taking a drug, it's about you, you know it's about your numbing, it's about your escape, it's about your problems. it's about your wanting that high. And so once I flipped that around and the and the spirits and the elders and the ancestors helped me to, see that like there was a world in need if I wanted to help creator fight for these things uh, that's when the that flow went an an outflow rather than an inflow and my life became about others and I know for one thing that helped me get sober so I know that like we serve others but sometimes as we as we serve the world we're also serving ourselves we're we're clicking into that state of compassion, which to me arguably is the most joyful state and the most healthy state and the most enlivening state. Uh, then when I was all about myself, I felt dead, you know? So I think being nine years sober now, I've never been so high, you know, (laughs) because I'm just high on life and high on love and high on service. Um, So I think that's one way we can do it is just acknowledging the benefits that will happen if we do it. And, and, and always praying, you know, praying like creator, where am I meant to be? How am I meant to serve and, and helping around yourself because nobody else can do that, but you, you know, no one else can serve your context, but you there in other parts of the world. So never taking for granted the the space that we are given to serve um, so long as it's not harmful for us.
0: Um. This is more of a, a general question. Um, most of my listeners are, are based in the United States. Uh, I was wondering how we can better support our Indigenous comrades here.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's, it's a process more than a, than a destination. Um, I think praying for the right opening to be connected to the local indigenous nations of your area is always a good place to start. And just saying, you know, not everyone prays, which I respect, but if if you do, you know, just say creator, I would like to be a part of the solution for the indigenous nations in my area. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised the way that creator answers that because there's no lack of need, and creator might just put you in the perfect place at the perfect time, and start building those connections. So, um, another sort of rule of thumb is to always ask indigenous peoples what they need, if anything, and then serve that rather than saying, "Oh, I have this permaculture project that I know would be great for your kids," you know. And it's like, "Oh, actually, we just need diapers because we don't have any money," you know, <laughs> or something like, or maybe they have plenty of money, but they want to do a music program you know who knows like there's so many different unique things that each community wants and it's really important for the help that we give to indigenous nations to be defined and led by those nations themselves instead of like the savior like i know what you need let me give it to you Um, and also um, that is also healing in and of itself because we haven't had choice for so long the boarding schools, we didn't have a choice to go to the boarding schools, we didn't have a choice in relocation, we didn't have a choice in 98% of our population getting wiped out by disease, we didn't have a choice in our people getting massacred by the U.S., and on and on and on. So simply restoring choice and leadership to those people is a huge healing moment, just saying, hey, what do you want to do? I want to follow your lead. That in and of itself, honoring Indigenous leadership in our homeland, is a healing moment in and of itself. Um, because yeah, we, we really have been in the backseat of the car in our own homeland for 500 years. And it's so annoying because it's like, y'all are guests on our land. You know, we don't take orders from you. You should be a humble guest and say, Hmm, do I take my shoes off before I enter your house? Or, you know, it's our house, our rules type of thing. So you should be humble. And no matter who you are, if you're a European American if you're Asian American, if you're African American, to always remember that you're in someone's homeland and to always remember that this is ideally would be to follow the leadership of their local nations.
0: Um. Just one last thing. I was wondering if you could maybe take us out with like a spoken word. If you have time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So I'll just read a poem, I guess. And um, yeah, since I'm sitting by the river, I think that's a good poem to read. When I close my eyes at night, I can hear the rock being cut open by water. I hear a grandfather's song and it sounds like sand walking down the river bottom. And it is this song about how even the mighty canyon walls were carved by meandering streams. Beneath the gentle waters, there are people, but not people like you and I, stone people. When I close my eyes at night, I am one of them. And the water courses over me for lifetimes upon lifetimes until I am polished and smooth. She teaches me about being gentle and forgiving. She teaches me how to be gentle yet persistent. And in her language of trickles and bubbles, she speaks to us. And she says, journeys, journeys, take them. They will refine you. But try not to forget who you are along the way. I have nothing for you but these words. So place them in your pocket. And I will see you again when you arrive at the ocean's throne as one million kernels of sand. Her voice hums in my blood, quiet as a stream in the night. And it is this song about how we are all just so loved. The eagles dip their talons into her soft body and pull from it a fish, a flesh meal for their children. And they sing this grandfather song with her and it sounds like feathers cutting into the sky. And it is this song about how even hatred surrenders to wonder. She is breaking my heart apart, like a stubborn granite puzzle of problems. And even the hardest doubts and sorrows give way to her infinite grace. And who knew that sometimes grace can come from standing in a raging river until everything we think we own is ripped away from us and replaced with a weightlessness so profound that we can't not cry. Tears of absolute praise and run all around the river banks shouting to the cattails and the willows and the minnows about the truth of beauty about the truth of a creator that breathes through the trees the truth of a creator that weaves winter from water and night the truth of a creator that weaves bodies from dust and light and carries us down the river of life over and over and over and over again through many lifetimes and many iterations until we finally understand the meaning of forever forever in the language of the stones there is no word for regret there is only a complete understanding of what it means to be a beloved son or daughter we are the rocks And creator's grace, grace is the water.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I was really uh, grateful to have this, share this space with you. Um, Thanks, Lila. Hope, Hope to speak again sometime.
1: Thank you, Zach. I really appreciate it.
0: Zach Boschman here, co-owner of CitizenTruth.org. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Citizen Truth podcast. The intro and outro song is Enthusiast by Tours and is provided via the Creative Commons license. Please subscribe and check us out at CitizenTruth.org.